Welcome to the Startup Help Desk. We are your source of answers to questions about building companies, starting companies, and the meaning of life. All the questions we answer are submitted by founders, leaders, CEOs, just like you. So our job is to make give you answers that help you build your business. All of us here on the panel of the Help Desk are experienced entrepreneurs, founders, and investors who have worked with countless companies to share our lessons with you. My name is Sean Burns. I've been a founder of companies for about 20 years, like Flurry and Outlier.ai. I'm an investor, advisor, and coach to countless more founders. And I'm here to share all the hard lessons that I've learned the hard way with you so you can avoid those same mistakes. I'm joined on the Startup Help Desk by two illustrious founders in their own right, Ash and Nick. Hi, everybody. My name's Ash Rust, and I'm a pre-seed investor based in San Francisco. I mostly invest in B2B companies based in the US, UK, and Canada through my fund, Sterling Road. I've also worked at places like Trinity Ventures as an entrepreneur in residence and Bullpen Capital as an advisor. Before investing, I was an entrepreneur myself, most notably an early employee at the social media analysis company, Clout, as well as the CEO and co-founder of SendUp. These days, I spend most of my time coaching founders, and I've helped more than a 1,000 startups over the years. Nick? Hey, this is Nick Melionis. I am co-founder and CEO of a startup called Navi. We build tools that help people learn innovation skills, solve mission-critical problems, and start companies. This is my second startup. I've had a chance to support hundreds of innovators and startups along the way, and I have an absolute blast debating startup questions with Sean and Ash. Thanks so much, and I'm excited to get into it. And today we're answering questions about growing pains. Specifically, problems that you encounter as your company starts to scale, your employees grow, your customers grow. What kind of issues do you run into and how do you solve them? Well, you have questions, we have answers, we'll deal with them all today. But before that, if you have questions that you want us to answer in future episodes, let us know. Find us on the website, thestartuphelpdesk.com, or find us on Twitter as thestartuphd. All these questions come from you, so the more questions you ask, the more episodes we'll do. But for now, let's talk about growing pains. And our first question up, Ash and Nick, is one of the most common questions I get, is how does the founder's role change as the company grows through different life stages? What do you think, Ash? Well, I keep it simple. So I think about it in three phases. Phase one is the building phase for founders. Obviously, you build throughout the full life cycle of the company, but the building phase for founders is that customer discovery phase, building out the MVP, getting those first versions live, maybe even to revenue. Once you've gotten to that phase and you're very much sort of doing long hours on product, building, et cetera, you're likely to start thinking about hiring, maybe building out the team a little bit more. And that's going to involve things like fundraising and more general marketing beyond the founder-led sales piece. So then that's phase two, the fundraising and marketing piece, where you're going from being a day-to-day builder to doing a lot more external work where you're talking to people outside of your organization uh, for most of your time. And then if you're successful at that phase and you're getting to multi-million dollar revenue, uh, and you're scaling the business, then we move into phase three, and that is recruiting in HR. And so that's where the vast majority of your time, 80% plus, should be spent finding incredible people to join your team. Uh, you spend an enormous amount of time, in particular, recruiting executive and engineering talent. And then, alas, unfortunately, you're going to spend a lot of time dealing with HR issues where you find uh, problems with employee behavior, and then that immediately has to uh, go straight up to uh, the founder level because it's so serious, and that can absorb a ton of time. So those are the three phases, building, 
uh, fundraising and marketing, and then lastly, recruiting and HR. What, Ash, what, which stage, though, is the podcast host stage? Really important for, for a friend. I'm asking right, for a right, friend. Right. That's a slightly different. You want to look at a different track. But so phase one, uh, the accelerator program founder uh, with fancy degree. So that's life coach, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then what you're going to do is once you get to um, series A founder with uh, – uh, tier one fund, then it's a dinner organizer. So they're going to have <laughs> a spare select group of, of CEOs that they are working with on a regular basis, just sharing stories, really connecting together, uh, presence, authenticity. That's what it's all about. And then, um, and then you have um, humble outcast. So when you reach Jack Dorsey level, obviously you want to grow a fat beard you want to sell most of your possessions. You want to find yourself way outside the United States um, doing motivational exercises in places that have really high mosquito counts. Uh, are you still doing paperwork <laughs> at that stage? Is that is paperwork still a part of that? I think some of your people's people are doing paperwork, sure. There it is. It hurts because it's so true. It hurts because it's true. You heard it here, folks. If you need help getting on that life path, Ash is the person to talk to. You drop him a line on Twitter. He'd love to hear from you. Nick, what do you think, man? What about growing pains and the founders changing role as the company grows? I like the three stages that Ash shared. One thing that is true across all three of those stages is that there are certain hats that the founder is going to wear throughout all of those stages. You'll be setting the vision. You'll be reminding people of the vision and often reminding people of the vision over and over again to make sure that there's alignment on it. Uh, you'll be deciding on priorities, specifically how to pursue that vision. And then you'll be motivating people to keep going. And so part of that, of course, includes uh, finding great people to continue to bring that vision to life. Those are things that are going to be true at each stage of the journey. And so the question is, how does the founder role change? Well, on day one of your startup journey, you've got all of those roles just listed, plus tons of other hats, i.e. building. And then as you grow, it becomes really important to find other people to take on all of the other responsibilities that aren't geared around setting the vision, recruiting, finding great people, and as Ash mentioned, tons of paperwork. <laughs> I, I heard a phrase once I really like because I like Ash your three phases, that at the beginning, your job is to build the business. Then your job is to build the team that will build the business. And then your job is to build the engine that will build the team that will build the business. And I think it's it's an interesting way to think about those three stages. You're slowly getting farther away from building the business yourself. So hopefully you're doing well at that stage. That makes sense. And hopefully, by the way, all y'all founders out there have this problem of growth. Um, it's it's These are problems, but they're good problems to have. So I hope everybody is blessed with them. Nick, what else is on our question queue for today? Let's do it. So another question a founder asked is the following. What do I need to change as my team grows from five to 25 people? So in this case, what does the founder need to change in terms of either themselves or in terms of the company as they grow from five to 25 people? Oh man, there's so much. Ash, I'll jump in here first because like we can go on and on about this. The most important, and this is a mistake I see a lot of founders making, when you have five people on your team, you're probably doing a lot of leading by example, meaning that you aren't you aren't writing down process, you're not writing, you're you're essentially letting people watch you 
operate and they're learning through how you make decisions. They're learning about the decisions that you make. How do you communicate? How do you talk about the company? They're watching you and through watching you, they can imitate you or at least understand what you want. And a lot of founders are like, my team reads my mind. That's because they are watching you and the team is small enough. They all know you. They're, they're comfortable being transparent with you because they know you. They can be honest. When you get to 25 people, none of that is true anymore. By the time you get to 25 people, the team doesn't really know you anymore. They know you're the CEO, but you don't actually talk to them all very often. Some of them you may not, not talk to at all. And so you can't lead by example anymore. That kind of implicit leadership breaks down. You have to be explicit. You have to write things down, write down the process, explain to the team why you do things so they can learn and then imitate that. Write down, communicate with them. The vision of the company, it's not enough for you to be able to tell an investor the pitch of the company. You have to tell the company the pitch of the company. Communicate why they should be excited. Where are you going? What's going on? Instead of having knowing everybody knows everything everybody else is doing, somebody has to write down how they're doing so people can know. Instead of having everybody know how the business is going, how many users you have, you're going to have to communicate that through some sort of centralized dashboard or, or other ways that you want to communicate. So a lot of founders, I find, like to resist this transition because it feels like a big company. It feels like you're becoming a big company. If you're writing things down, writing down process, formalizing your communications. But here's the reality. You have to do that because how else is everybody else going to know what you need of them? Where they, TikTok how they should videos be doing don't things. cut it. What's that? TikTok videos don't cut it. No, TikTok videos are a great way to communicate with your team. In fact, that's how we do in the podcast. All our behind the scenes is TikTok. Um, but I, I, you've, it's funny you say that. Videos, recording videos can work. Anything that makes sure you're not relying on the team listening to everything you do. So be explicit. Repeat yourself. It's really, really important. It's the hardest moment for a lot of founders to get through because leading by example is easy. It's intuitive. Leading explicitly is hard, but it's a necessary transition. What do you think, Ash? What about my leading by example has inspired you? So the things that come up the most when people are growing from five to 10 people to 20 to 30 people are usually in three buckets for me. So first of all, you've got to make sure all your regulatory and financial compliance is now in place. A lot of the time, startups play this kind of stuff fast and loose. Maybe you've not completed all of your tax stuff. Maybe you've not completed all of your stock option stuff. Maybe you're in a uh, heavily regulated industry and you've not got all of that buttoned down yet. All of that has to change between those two areas because you're a real business now and over time, the fines and, and problems that you generate uh, by being outside of compliance can become um, existential for the company. So but Ash, has one. FTX not taught us that you can get to a few billion in revenue before you worry about those things? Exactly. <laughs> and so, but eventually, eventually, the chickens come home to roost, even then. So uh, regardless of the level of fraud that you're personally capable of, it's they're still going to catch up with you, and they always do. So uh, better just to start off on the right foot and, and avoid these kinds of issues. And it can be small stuff like just missing uh, you know, automatic payroll tax payments uh, in Gusto or something like that, and you can find yourself with a huge fine. So you have to make sure all that stuff is buttoned down, usually by using a third party. Uh, number two, internal tools as an engineering priority. 
a lot of the time when you're building your business up to your first few customers, up to your first 10 people, you're going to build that thing uh, in a pretty uh, lapdash fashion. It's going to be balsa wood and blue tack holding it together. And that's fine. But eventually you've got to build an efficient business that is uh, operates smoothly and is a pleasure for people to work at. Uh, it can't be miserable to do things every day. You can't be constantly putting out fires on your code base. So building out internal tools, uh, making it easy for your team members to do um, the standard operations easily uh, for your company's revenue generation, that becomes a, a pretty important. And then the last thing is prioritizing revenue overall. So revenue growth needs to be a monthly goal by the time you're up to 25 people. It doesn't matter so much at five to 10 people in a Silicon Valley startup, because oftentimes you're not expected to have uh, significant revenue at the pre-seed or seed stage, especially if you have a strong team. But beyond that, when you're at 20 people, 20, 30 people, and perhaps you're spending two or $300,000 a month on uh, on all the costs for that business, well, then you are going to need a significant revenue to offset that, and it should be something the company is focused on. Uh, unless you're a self-driving car company, which has been proven you can go public with no revenue and still be okay. So just setting expectations. And, and still be okay. You see, this is still playing out, right? Like I think that just because we're saying the bubble inflated to an enormous level, I don't know if we can then say, oh, well, these companies were okay. I'm sure someone cashed out and they made out like bandits, right? We can just check out their location in St. Bart's. But for everybody else, they are holding the bag. And I think it definitely remains to be seen, just as we saw in the dot-com bus 20 years ago, how many of these companies are actually going to survive uh, you know, a protracted downturn as, as it looks like the macro environment won't clear up completely this year, even if pre-seed and seed funding um, picks up. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. One more thought on this, which is as your team gets bigger, you need to set expectations with them. What should they expect to happen next? Because they won't have complete knowledge about everything that's going on. And so you have to help them set those expectations. Like what is, what should they expect? Is the company going to double in size? Or are you going to grow more slowly than that? What are your targets likely to be? Um, all these sorts of things. How is a macro environment likely to affect the company? You might not be able to set every expectation, for example, you might not be able to tell them, hey, we're going to do layoffs in six months, but you should, to the extent that you can, set expectations so that they get a sense of what's coming. Because as the bigger the company is, the harder it is for any individual employee to do that themselves. They just don't have enough knowledge about what's going on around the company. And so you have to do that. By the way, if you don't do that, if you don't set expectations, your employees will substitute their own. And I guarantee you they will be incorrect. And you'll have to do some work to back those out and correct those expectations. So get ahead of them, communicate, be clear as much as you possibly can, which is not perfect, but you know, hopefully more is, is better than nothing. So last question, what do you do if your co-founder isn't growing with the company? What do you do if your co-founder isn't growing with the company? Yeah, this is great. Very common question for folks to encounter. And so part one, investigate what the problem is. And so you might I find really thought that... you said calming question. I was like, really? Is that a calming question? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, not, uh, not the most calming question of all time, but uh, certainly a common, a common thing for one to encounter. And so you start by investigating what's causing this problem. And so it could be that there's just not skills alignment in terms of the role. It could be that this person doesn't feel as if they've been given the 
opportunity to contribute and shape this company in the right kind of way, or they might just no longer be aligned with this pursuit and they might not be bought in to the vision or to you and your work style. So the key is to start by just understanding what's the problem. And then these things are hard. Just spend time listening, really understand what's the motivational issue here. You can't use the same material between episodes, (laughs) but you have to change it. (laughs) That's so good. The key is always listening, whether you're talking to customers, talking to, um, you know, ultimately talking to employees, talking to your co-founder. And so big picture, you got to make sure you just have the right process in place to triage early and understand uh, what the issue is and then adjust accordingly. I'll pause there though. Sean? Well, I just want to say it's definitely the case that we are not using AI to generate these episodes. There is no proof that you have the fact that we're repeating content. It's Nick GPT. That's That's why he just keeps saying pancake breakfast over and over. Uh, There's been, that's, I've substituted listen with the pancake breakfast. So the current theme here. I actually like the idea of Nick GPT. We'll get on top of that for the future. Uh, I, I think Nick, well, before I, I agree with Nick, but I also want to mention, listen, if you have co-founders for your company, the reality is almost no company that reaches success has all the co-founders make it the whole journey. It's If you do, that is awesome, but it's also very unusual. So at some point, a co-founder will leave. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean somebody messed up. It's just how things go. Because being a co-founder is not a magical title. Just because you're a co-founder doesn't mean you are qualified or able to contribute at the company at every stage or that you would be happy doing so even if you could. So some people might depart. It just happens. Nick is absolutely right about listening. Um, You can find often, for example, there's a reason why the CTO co-founder, if you look at the position across companies, is almost universally different. There's almost no commonality to the, to the, the definition of CTO, co-founder, at different companies. Usually, that's created as a position to make sure a co-founder has a role that fits them. And that might mean running a team or it might mean running no one. It might mean being involved in the product or it might not. So being flexible as you're listening and finding a way for them to be involved is good, but there might not be a way for them to be involved. That also happens. So keeping the open lines of communication going, because the only way this really goes south is if it gets toxic and there's conflict. And co-founder conflict, we've talked about this before, common cause of startup failure. It doesn't go away as you get bigger. And was um, Nick's I've, advice to listen? That's right. Or use AI. If you don't want to listen, just have them think they're talking to you and have them talk to AI. (laughs) That's probably pretty toxic now that I say that out loud. So definitely don't do that. This is not advice. Um, But really, what you want to avoid is someone feeling like they're being pushed out or somebody feeling they're being marginalized because that toxicity that comes from conflict, it infects the whole company, especially if it's between the founders And so you just want to avoid that. Open lines of communication can help. Setting expectations can help. um, But just don't let it become toxic. I mean, I don't know, Ash and Nick, if you've ever, how often you see toxic co-founder conflict, but man, it's, it's messy when it happens. Yes. I have a good example, actually, maybe a cautionary tale. So uh, I've seen it where we've had a really successful company have co-founder issues come up years later, multiple rounds after departure because that person wanted a fight and they had leverage. And so they kept using it over and over again to maximize um, 
their opportunity and they would always do it around fundraising rounds um, to really hurt the company and slow things down. Mm, yikes. Is, is there actually, can I ask this as a good question? Is there anything you can do if, let's say you're parting ways with a co-founder, even if it's amicable when you part ways, it can get toxic later. People get resentful. Is there anything you can do as a company or on both sides to make sure, listen, it's time to part ways. It's not the right thing to stick together that you can insulate yourself from those issues farther down the road? Well, yeah, you definitely need to talk to a lawyer about that departure document and it needs to have all the releases and waivers possible uh, that are legal in your state that will uh, prevent this person from coming back and asking for more after this agreement. And you need to make sure that this agreement is probably a one-time thing. Usually if it's ongoing on the basis of some kind of uh, numeric achievements by the company or the or the individual, maybe they're going to continue on as an advisor, et cetera, that's where you're going to really run into conflict. So uh, keep it simple, keep it one time, uh, make sure it's ironclad from a lawyer's perspective, and that'll give you the best possibility. Now, even if you do all that, if you've had a co-founder leave in uh, amicable or unamicable um, scenarios early on, and then you go on to be a unicorn, I'm just guaranteeing you that they're coming back for more money. No question. Speaking of which, this is this is a very subtle way of Ash and Nick starting a conversation with me, but I'm going to cut off the episode <laughs> before I can go very far. Ha ha ha. I am in a scale with a podcast. Look at that. And that brings us to the end of the episode. We've talked about growing pains. And by the way, this is the start of a much longer series of episodes. There is no shortage of pains that you can encounter when you're growing a company. I am sure there'll be more questions in the future. If you have them, submit them on our website, thestartuphelpdesk.com, or find us on Twitter at thestartuphd. We'd love to answer more in the future. Ash and Nick, as always, it was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you both. Live long and prosper, folks. There it is. We will be back in the future, but for now, the Startup Help Desk is closed. Good luck in building your businesses.